0: From when I walk in, the Chinese ambassador will be constantly following me, whispering in my ears to be careful about, because they heard I was going to be going to Palau, for example, and they don't like it because Palau is uh, sympathetic to Taiwan, for example, those kind of things. And I warned them not to ever do that again because we're a sovereign nation.
1: In this episode, I sit down with former president of the Federated States of Micronesia, David Penuelo who served from 2019 to 2023. He's unusual in having been highly vocal about the Chinese regime's aggressive efforts to expand its control
0: in the Pacific Islands through political warfare and gray zone activities. I wasn't doing it because I wanted to be bold. I wanted to do it to protect our citizens and the sovereignty of our nation.
1: Why is this region so important? It's part of the second island chain of defense in America's military strategy against China and would become critical if the CCP were to invade Taiwan. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Jan Jekielek. President David Penuelo, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders.
0: Jan, thank you for having me on your program, the Epoch Times in Washington, DC. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm a fan of your uh, uh, Epoch Times.
1: Well, thank you so much. And of course, welcome to America. Um, Of course, I've been watching what you've been doing over the past several years in the Federated States of Micronesia, where you were the president, um, standing up to communist China, very uncharacteristic behavior, I might add, from the region, and something I think a lot of people could learn from. Um, but But it wasn't always like that, okay? And so I'm just thinking, over the course of a few years, um, I've been reading recently, kind of recapping several letters that you wrote. And at the beginning of these letters, it, you're extremely cordial in this that uh, sort of Pacific Islander way that, that that we 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 love and cherish. And by the end of maybe a, a one or two year period, you're very direct and very pointed, and pointing out some very egregious behavior on the side of the Chinese regime. So so tell me how this all happened.
0: Well. Yeah, and thank you. You know, our country. I want to set it very clear and upfront that we are our foreign policies that we're friends to all and enemies to none, really. And so, based on that premise, uh, we have uh, you know good relations with uh, every country around the world. And so, uh, United States being our enduring partner, uh, the treaty that we have is very important. We're going to go and do that. But on your question. Uh, In terms of uh, China, uh, China is a beautiful country. You know, beautiful culture, tradition. People are friendly, uh, but it's the uh, government that, over time, as the president of our country, I, I felt I need to take a strong stance to, uh, you know, to make sure that the sovereignty of our nation is uh, is protected. Uh, I was invited by President Xi to go to China, and uh, you know, all the treatments that was given to me is appreciated, how head of state is uh, treated in in, in China. Uh, But overall, uh, over the course of time, uh, I I learned that I must take some bold actions uh, to make sure that the sovereignty of our nation is uh, protected, and also for the uh, uh, Pacific region uh, as a whole, because uh, security is very important. And so I did write uh, several letters, uh, one when Uh, Prime Minister Sogovara signed the security agreement with uh, China.
1: That's, of course, the president of the Solomon Islands. Uh,
0: The prime minister of the Solomon Islands, yes. And uh, uh, because we share the region, uh, when that happened, of course, as a a Pacific leader, I wrote to uh, Prime Minister Sogovara in a very friendly manner because he's like a brother to me. And as family, uh, we share uh, what we're concerned about. And so I did uh, share about the concern, what we see around the world, uh, that uh, it can potentially happen in Solomon Islands and escalate tensions. And so, uh, you know, uh, the letter uh, elicited the Prime Minister to also share with the Pacific Islands Forum is promised that um, China uh, will not militarize the uh, the Solomon Islands, which can make a harmonious uh, region. Uh, become uh, less secure, it raises the level of es- uh, uh, the, uh, do you, do escalation. You, do you
1: think that, that anything has changed since that time? Do you feel like that promise has been kept?
0: Well, you know, we have to monitor that carefully because, as you can see in uh, recent events with the support of uh, China into uh, Solomon Islands for the Pacific Games, for example, uh, has postponed a very uh, important democratic uh, process, the elections, for example. But what I think uh, we Pacific leaders must be very cautious about is when uh, foreign influence comes into the country and upset, the, you know, the system of government that can have uh, infighting happen. And I think Solomon Islands have that uh, history of uh, uh, in the past, where other Pacific nations uh, send in. Uh, uh, police forces to help uh, settle the uh, the escalation of a conflict uh, in in the Solomon Islands. So I think those are important, and the Pacific Islands Forum is the premier regional organization that can also serve that uh, purpose to uh, uh, to make sure that the Pacific works together. Uh, you know, uh, uh, strength in numbers uh, to make sure that we keep it uh, as uh, peaceful as possible. Well,
1: of course, and you know, you're saying that. As we know in the Solomon Islands, the the Chinese did provide you know sort of security support, so to speak, right? That reminds me, you know, Federated States of Micronesia has a very deep relationship with the U.S. Correct. Namely, it relies by treaty on all its protection, essentially, right? Explain that relationship to me, and I want to talk a little bit about also, um, you know, why why did that deal get struck? You think?
0: Well. I must uh, uh, emphasize, and you know, cannot overemphasize enough the importance of the compact of free association between the FSM and the US, and uh, similarly with Palau and the Marshall Islands. Uh, we call it the freely associated states or the compact nations. Uh, uh, we do have a treaty that uh, comprised of the uh, uh, the main pillars of economic cooperation, political and uh, security or defense cooperation, which is embedded in that uh, treaty. And it serves as the uh, cornerstone uh, policy for the bigger uh, Pacific region. Uh, that cooperation uh, gives the U.S. Uh, a certain uh, rights, fido powers when it comes to security, and the very uh, big exclusive economic zone and airspace of the three countries combined <clears throat> is a very Important strategic uh, part of uh, uh, U.S. Uh, operations in the Pacific. It gives U.S., for example, from uh, you know California to Hawaii to the Marshall Islands and FSM Palau, a very uh, uninterrupted, contiguous space, uh, open space where U.S. can cross to the bigger uh, Asian uh, countries. So you can imagine how important that is. And so I, I uh, put it to the uh, U.S. Uh, leaders that. That's very important, and uh, we uh, look forward to the approval of the uh, comeback in the U.S. Congress. Well, and I, and
1: I think, and maybe I'll get you to speak to this. I mean, World War, what ha- World War II tells us how important it was, right? Yes. But uh, you know, maybe maybe if you can if you can speak to that briefly. There were a number of you know key key uh, battles in the Pacific. Well, uh,
0: in Solomon Islands, you can uh, talk about the Guadalcanal uh, battle in. Uh, Belilu in the Truck Lagoon uh, during the Second World War. These were among the very, very biggest uh, wars that uh, broke out in our Pacific region. So we know what war is when we talk about war, uh, our ancestors, our grandfathers uh, lived through uh, uh, the war. So those are uh, uh, things that we don't want uh, repeated in, uh, in the Pacific, uh, let alone in, uh, in Micronesia.
1: I, I, and I'm just going to highlight for everybody how you know strategically important for U.S. naval operations that region is, and that mm. you know, let's say, a change in the balance of power there is has, has a profound impact on the U.S.'s <clears throat> ability to project power west.
0: It is very important uh, the United States uh, military bases in Guam and uh, in in Hawaii is uh, well known. The fact that our population combined in uh, Hawaii and Guam is, is uh, larger than two of our states in the Federated States of Micronesia. And that unique relationship uh, allows uh, our, our nation, uh, young men and women, to also uh, serve in the U.S. Armed Forces in, in uh, you know, higher per capita uh, than any of the states in the United States. So it's, you see how unique that is.
1: That's fascinating. I, I had no idea about that. That's an incredible statistic.
0: Yes, it is an incredible right. statistic.
1: Let's talk about, um, you know, what did the Chinese Communist Party do throughout your tenure, right? That made you change your view or feel like you have to step out of the, you know, mm-hmm. becoming very, very pointed. Um, with your criticisms of what you saw the CCP doing and how um, different leaders were reacting, because I'm talking about a few of your yes, comments well, here. Yeah.
0: well, my first letter to Sogovari was prompted by the security agreement. You know, sure. we shared that Pacific region. The second letter was directed to the leaders of the Pacific, uh, my brothers and sisters of the Pacific. Uh, regarding the common development agreement which uh, China was proposing to be signed by all the Pacific uh, leaders during a meeting in uh, Fiji and so when we reviewed that uh, uh, common development agreement and learned that uh, by signing that we will have given away uh, uh, you know and compromised our sovereignty and so through tedious review uh, that would allow uh, Chinese to come in and also look at the, the uh, you know minerals of our exclusive economic zone. It will give them access into knowing who's entering our country, who's getting out of our country through electronic means, through customs and immigration, uh, among other things. And so we uh, wrote, uh, I wrote to the Pacific uh, leaders, uh, brothers and sisters, to warn them about the common development agreement and upon review. Uh, leaders uh, did find out that, you know, that can uh, cause a problem of uh, uh, compromising our sovereignty. And so from that time, the the agreement was uh, sort of shelved. And I think now, until now, I have not seen uh, that coming about. But we have other examples, you know, examples of uh, uh, direct uh, uh, agreements on the blue economy that high Uh, didn't uh, give agreement uh, to uh, or authorize it to be signed. Uh, And here Chinese diplomats in the embassy locally working with our Secretary of Foreign Affairs, with our officials, uh, to uh, insist that they must sign it, even though they've heard it from our uh, 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 top cabinet, to say President doesn't uh, uh, authorize uh, this to be signed. And they kept going at it. So I can cite uh, uh, many examples, but uh, uh, we have to stand up uh, strong and bold and uh, draw the line in the sand to say if this encroaches on our sovereignty, then it's, it's not good for, for the uh, sovereign interests of our nation and collectively for the, uh, for the Pacific Island countries.
1: Well, and I just wanted to comment on the common development agreement. I mean, thank goodness that got shelved. So- I often think of what the CCP is doing in the Pacific as a kind of a model of how they infiltrate and influence and cajole and buy all sorts of other places. And it's very, it's powerful to hear maybe, you know, you've given a couple of examples, but maybe you can give me a few of the other sort of egregious things that you noticed that really got you thinking and changing your mind.
0: Well, the, the, the Common Development uh, Agreement, the letter that I wrote out, has picked up some of that steam mm-hmm. in a way, uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I issued uh, the third letter to our uh, uh, leaders of the FSM. You know, I targeted mm-hmm. uh, entire leadership because we're comprised of a federation, four states, uh, uh, municipal governments, with state governments, and to, uh, federal governments. So I targeted the entire leadership. Uh, to warn them of some of these activities that can be subtle in nature you won 't see it coming or it could be aggressive in some ways because we 've experienced uh, some of that you know what they call uh, uh, wolf diplomacy, depending on the, the personality of uh, the diplomats who are there. Some are subtle, subtle, and some are uh, very aggressive and we 've experienced uh, all of that during my administration as a president i 'd go to uh, say a Japan function to celebrate the birthday of the, uh, uh, you know, uh, emperor, for example, they would hold a very big event and how I would walk in and from when I walk in, the Chinese ambassador to FSM will be constantly following me, whispering in my ears to be careful about, you know, how I, because they heard I was going to be going to Palau, for example, and they don't like it because Palau is uh, sympathetic to Taiwan, for example, those kind of things. Until the point, I mean, so persistent that I had to stop and talk to the ambassador and say, Ambassador, don't ever, don't ever treat me like, you know, I'm, a, you know, like how he persistently be warning uh, to a head of state, something like that. And I warned him not to ever do that again because we're a sovereign nation and he can say what he wants, uh, but he cannot be, you know, directing it in that way. And I, I've come out by being very vocal uh, one-on-one with them where their folks were listening to it for that kind of example when when we come together to uh, meet Balao and Marshall Islands because they recognize Taiwan how they'd be warning you know and, and as a sovereign country how do you take it that diplomat who's like consistently persistently you know telling you that in your ear I just had to stop and really point at him and warn him not to ever do that ever again to me and my <clears throat> Third letter, which I sent out, uh, there's also uh, direct uh, evidence of one of the governors uh, coming to me from the state of Koshai to tell me that there were agents uh, from uh, China who went and saw him to try to go against my letter. And so the the governor confided in me and he said, Mr. President, of course I told them no because that would be treason, you know.
1: It's so outrageous, right? I mean, I'm just, I'm kind of smiling because this is of course what The CCP does—it's its modus operandi almost, right? But it just—it's so—it's so so outrageous and blatant, and even you know, i I think your example is very interesting. You know, just sort of insisting that something that's already been decided be changed, as right, because presumably because you know you you have the backing of the whole uh, you know Chinese regime behind you, so you feel like you can do that.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I don't think the Pacific leaders and especially in Micronesia, I don't think we should feel like we're walking on eggshells that when we have to take strong positions because we're in uh, in defense of our own sovereignty, our national interest that is best for the security of our uh, citizens, uh, we shouldn't be uh, dissuaded just by thinking, oh, uh, you know uh, this is going to be bad because we're gonna get uh, you know repercussions of uh, criticism or some kind of uh, you know uh, uh, action uh, to come back we need to stand up strong as sovereign nations to defend the interest of our of our uh, uh, country in uh, every way that that we can and so I think uh, that message is uh, is very important to, to demonstrate
1: you just reminded me that you're actually um, you know basically, prevented, or at least as long as you were president, prevented one of the appointees for ambassador. Yes, yes. So, so tell me about that and why. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and well, what happened, actually, yeah.
0: When China presented their ambassador to succeed, the ambassador I was talking about, <laughs> uh, who's always using wolf diplomacy, uh, and we reviewed uh, the background of uh, the proposed ambassador through uh, what they call a agreement, and, and we, we noticed and did some background check that there's uh, been very uh, strong security background of that ambassador. And that's just common sense and also looking ahead in the cooperation we have with uh, with China. And this is the point that I've always uh, made, uh, that our relationship with China is always and will always be uh, only on economic and technical terms and cannot be strategic. but. Uh, China always take the opportunity to unilaterally uh, uh, come out with the press releases that calls our relationship strategic partnership even though we've said no it's not a strategic uh, uh, you know relationship but they've always uh, done that and they're good with with the propaganda of you know getting out that message and so to the point where I was a president I also shared with our uh, government that they cannot sign any joint uh, agreement that uh, says uh, strategic partnership. Uh, uh, you have to uh, differentiate that, you know, in your alliance with uh, with countries. And then I think uh, uh, if we do that, it, it, it's not going to be the kind of uh, uh, policy or uh, agreement that you want to, uh, especially that we have a, a compact, uh, you know, treaty with the U.S. with the pillar of, Economic, political, and uh, security cooperation.
1: Well, and there's also examples, if I recall, uh, of when um, you know you opted not to, you know, sign some sort of agreement, and then the PRC diplomats said that the FSM is on board.
0: Right? Yes. Uh, I mean
1: that that just seems incredibly egregious. But tell that it, tell it me is. About that.
0: It yeah. is very, uh, and it's documented in emails that's been exchanged where. Our secretary of foreign affairs was fuming how we could be doing that uh, to when he already know that head of state says no to any agreement. But he keeps pushing that he signs it anyway, Uh, you know. uh, So those are the kind of uh, examples that I I, I think is, uh, you know, is important to understand. And so even uh, to the point where uh, as a president, uh, I had to be very cautious on. The kind of recommendations that's coming out of our embassy in uh, in uh, Beijing of our diplomats because it's uh, almost filled with the content that China wants to uh, you know push it on to the government. For example like the uh, trade agreement that we're talking about, and so uh, you know when that happens, then then you know maybe it's it's good intention by our diplomats, but uh, they must know that you know. First and foremost, they represent our interests, not the interests of China, and so that fine line has to be determined, and uh, that uh, it is in the best interest of our nation when we're signing these documents that are being recommended from our I mean, embassy.
1: just—I just want to highlight this. This seems like an incredible amount of pressure when you have this, you know, second-largest economy in the world, aggressive, you know, superpower communist China doing this. That's that's a huge pressure on anybody, right, in my mind.
0: You know, uh, fortunately, (laughs) I love my country so much. Uh, Representing our country was a passion that I I took on. And so, yes, I'm sure that is going to be pressure on anyone who's leading a nation. But I, I viewed it as something that is a very a sacred crown that I have to defend our nation and make sure that I make the decisions that are in the best interest of our country, even if it uh, disappoints that superpower. Because after all, who am I, uh, you know, serving? It's our nation and our our, our citizens. So you put it right. But uh, I think uh, leaders must know uh, these elements, even to the point where I went ahead. Uh, and also put a moratorium on the uh, research vessels uh, coming into our exclusive economic zone because uh, information that we, we learned that it's not only uh, doing, conducting uh, you know, uh, research, but other uh, elements that that is not in the best interest of our, our nation.
1: Um, what you just said makes perfect sense to me but it seems to be a rare position. And I'm not just talking about the Pacific, I'm talking about anywhere.
0: Yes, Uh, you know, other examples, for example, uh, I know I've uh, warmed up to uh, Taiwan also because they're a democratic entity and uh, uh, strong in trade, in culture, in sports. Uh, And so I opened up to that and you can see how how China was running around meeting all, all our, uh, you know, uh, uh, leaders to try to uh, reverse that, and of course, uh, you know, one China policy our country signed uh, 33 odd years ago. But the the landscape of, uh, uh, you know, the evolution of the political scene uh, has changed. The world is uh, changing, uh, and so. Uh, You know, uh, uh, that quickly had uh, Chinese uh, officials meeting our government to uh, uh, go against my actions, I I believe, to the point where they had to uh, uh, work in a resolution to state that uh, our government still opposed the one-China policy. And I know U.S. does that, uh, also restates uh, the one-China policy uh, for that. But, you know, I think we need to uh, uh, be bold and open to... uh, Scenarios that can uh, work uh, for our uh, respective, uh, uh, you know, Pacific Island nations.
1: So I know that your critics, you know, of course, uh, you know, the, the, the CCP itself, but you know, back home and so forth, will say, well, you might be endangering the whole country or the whole region by what you're doing. How do you react to that?
0: I think I think first of all, as leaders, we're serving the you know interests of our nation and serving the interests of our, our citizens and then working with the broader allies that that have shared values and I think that's important to remember all of the time as a leader and so working together with allies uh, you know to preserve the rules-based international order the uh, shared values that we, we have is something we need to be strong about because every country especially the superpowers you know uh, I know US China, uh, see influence as important so that they can you know uh, make sure that their interests are are uh, you know strong in the uh, Pacific Island countries but uh, when you talk about you know democracy versus uh, authoritarianism uh, and you look at the events that's happening in in the world uh, we need to be strong about it an example that I want to also share is uh, how uh, China uh, also persistently uh, work with countries to try to uh, 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 you know, tone down human rights issues, for example. And recent example is uh, late October, I think our country was persuaded to uh, abstain from the uh, vote on that resolution on the Uyghur's uh, human rights issue. Uh, but I think the more that countries can stand up and be strong about these issues. To advocate for the treatment of uh, you know uh, all people uh, equally uh, about their human rights, it's important for the collective world to be strong in their voice, and especially at the uh, multilateral center of the, of the world, at the United Nations. Mm-hmm. We need to have clear conscience in my view. Uh, and so uh, you see the change in my administration uh, during the time I was president. I think we used a softer approach. say uh, we we respect the internal affairs of your country and encourage them that to treat everyone uh, with the same human rights uh, uh, you know Uh, but you know we we see overall events that that has not changed uh, that that uh, behavior so sometimes when the world comes together to condemn human rights uh, treatment uh, such I think we need to stand together strong without feeling like we're walking on eggshells because the truth uh, is the truth. We, we need to uh, do that. And uh, with the uh, strong feeling that we are mm, leaders advocating these shared values that are universal.
1: I agree with you. And especially when, you know, what's actually happening is kind of the worst things, some of the worst things that humans can do to each other, A genocide and the of crimes course. against humanity is kind of an egregious, extreme violations that the CCP Somehow is regularly regularly involved in. Um, I want to get a little. Tell me a little bit about you. Um, you know this again. I, I I wish every leader was you know viewing things as you do. <laughs> Frankly, <laughs> tell me a little bit about how you came about. You know your your way of thinking. What's it influenced by?
0: Well. <laughs> I, I grew up under parents that are very uh, you know strong in their belief and I think uh, I I think my parents growing up with many siblings and growing up in the Magnesian culture of uh, respect uh, I think that's important and uh, I, I went to school I'm uh, one of the leaders who was educated in the United States at the Eastern Oregon University but at an early age I remember uh, being in a uh, university, and I was already writing to the second uh, president at the time in the mid-'80s, I believe, uh, to one of our presidents uh, asking them to start the uh, FSM Trust Fund, for example. So I was clearly uh, already thinking out already for the future of our, our nation. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, immediately when I finished uh, university, uh, getting my career uh, course, uh, getting me in that direction, I started as a young person, as a diplomat, uh, and then uh, serving in our uh, embassies in Fiji, where we uh, were a young nation, uh, coming out as a young nation to be integrated with the Pacific Island uh, countries. I worked with the United Nations, uh, trained, and I I think, uh, you know, when I was uh, ready and became a member of Congress, I I started my career in uh, public office and then uh, uh, becoming a, the ninth president of our country and so it's just from from my heart I, I don't think uh, you know when you're a leader and you're uh, you're doing the you know Representing the best interests of uh, your country you listen to your heart and you you listen to information That comes to you to make the best sense of it in in guiding and helping uh, the decision-making and so uh, in the presidency Infor- information is very important, and so we uh, we created, uh, uh, you know, the cybersecurity bureau in our Department of Justice mm-hmm. to help with that. We also, I think, in the history of our nation, uh, for the first time, uh, the Office of the President also uh, established uh, through executive order uh, the Information and uh, Intelligence uh, Services Bureau to guide decisions, so that when Pacific Island nations being limited with the uh, information to work with allies and make sure that information you get help in the decision making so you can see through the compact we we have a very strong and touring partnership with the US and uh, that's important for the indo pacific uh, 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 region and uh, the overall security of our nation so we consider ourselves as part of the uh, homeland security when it comes to a uh, defense that's how strong the the and touring partnership it is with the United States.
1: Hmm. Well, so I remember again, I'm thinking back to these letters that you wrote, and you know, at least in the first one, you highlight how China is our friend, the U.S. is our friend. But then as you're, you're getting towards, you know, as, as time goes on, you're highlighting more, um, you know, China as a kind of a threat, right? So there's this desire to not have to choose. Right. That's kind of the the status quo is I don't have to choose. What do you think about that?
0: Well, I've been asked the question, you know, uh, a few times by the media, whether as a small island country, I feel like I'm sandwiched between two superpowers. (laughs) And my pointed question was no, because I I definitely know the best interest of our nation. And I think if you know that, uh, uh, it makes it easier because we know, uh, you know, our partners, we know our trusted partners and who to work with to advance the you know, overall uh, security of the Pacific and uh, the, the entire world uh, together. Uh, and uh, that question that was uh, you know, asked of me, I, I never felt once that I was sandwiched uh, between two, uh, two superpowers.
1: Thinking about your third letter, which was to the FSM you know, various FSM leaders, Yes. right? How did people react to your, you know, I guess, expose on the CCP?
0: You know, I I genuinely put out a letter that I thought would be good for leaders as I was uh, uh, coming to the end of, tail end of my administration, based on the insight and uh, experience that I uh, under, underwent uh, as a president of our country, uh, highlighting uh, important things. Uh, I, I got a letter from one of our governors in response to that to uh, highlight how important the letter uh, you know, was uh, during that time. And he also shared his uh, fears and concerns about the escalation of uh, you know, tension in Micronesia and in the, in the Pacific region. Uh, but overall uh, it's almost like a, a silence from <laughs> from the rest of uh, of the leaders and so there was another uh, letter that i sent to the uh, then speaker who is now the president simena uh, regarding the resolution on the one china policy mm-hmm. because it was cancelled the hearing was cancelled when we were preparing to co-do uh, uh, the hearing to help explain <clears throat> The, the foreign policy decisions that I've taken and uh, mm-hmm. they canceled it and went ahead and uh, adopted the resolution Though I felt it, uh, it was necessary to document the chain of events that was happening because as a president uh, I'm trying to demonstrate that not only China that I was uh, you know very uh, you know focal about, in the things that I do, everything. We must work together to make sure. I was focal when the constitutional crisis was happening in uh, in uh, Samoa with the transition of uh, government from one prime minister to the next, uh, which was so. I, I stood up and wrote a letter to uh, advocate that you know uh, the constitution must uh, prevail. On the issue of uh, Ukraine, we were the first country to sever diplomatic relations with uh, Russia when they invaded the, the Ukraine. So I was trying to demonstrate that as a nation, even though we're small, our voices are very strong when we work together with our Pacific leaders. And I have a, a strong confidence in the leaders of the Pacific that you know, working together on these issues will uh, make our, our region a, a harmonious and a peaceful region.
1: What do you think, you know, you, you highlighted this, uh... You know the obvious special relationship, very special relationship that the U.S. has
0: mm-hmm. with these
1: three states, and of course FSM. What would you like to see the U.S. and do at this point? What would what would do you do? You feel like the U.S. is fulfilling its part. Do you feel that there's other things it can do?
0: Well, you know, I said. As a former president, looking from the outside into the prism of the U.S. bureaucracy, uh, I, I get worried and concerned when, when, when the kind of a, a, you know non-cooperation to the extent that it paralyzes the uh, functioning of government happens in, the, for example, the House of Representatives and. Uh, We we watch it because the rest of the world also will be impacted by actions. And so clearly in the context of the FSM and the Freely Associated States of Palau and Marshall Islands, our compacts are bending in the U.S. Congress. We went through the very tedious efforts of negotiations and completed that. And so uh, U.S. leadership uh, promised us that there is bipartisan support and so now the most important thing that I see as a former president uh, to speak uh, very truly, <clears throat> we believe that the United States must, uh, you know, approve the uh, the funding for the uh, comeback funding for the three uh, comeback nations because it underpins the, the security of the Pacific, uh, the Indo-Pacific region. And so, you know, I hope that the uh, U.S. Uh, can see this importance and not offsetting, I think they must uh, put it on the front burner and uh, approve these compact fundings because uh, a lot of things, uh, uh, you know, hinges upon the success of the funding. And we're uh, beyond the fiscal year where the uh, old compact has expired, waiting for the approval of these uh, funds uh, to help with the security of uh, Micronesia and uh, overall uh, larger uh, Pacific region.
1: Well, help with the security of Micronesia
0: and the U.S. And the U.S. Right. It is. So it's a a mutual uh, security uh, relationship that uh, must, uh, as I have emphasized, that uh, it is a a strategically important uh, location Uh, our uh, compact nations uh, hold uh, with the United States. And so, uh, yes, it is important for our security and uh, U.S. security and the collective security of the Indo-Pacific region.
1: I'm going to read something you wrote and get you to comment. China's intent is to, quote, shift those of us with diplomatic relations with China very close into Beijing's orbit, intrinsically tying the whole of our economies and societies to them. The practical impacts, however, of Chinese control over our communications infrastructure, our ocean territory, and the resources within them, and our security space, aside from impacts on our sovereignty, is that it increases the chances of China getting into conflict with Australia, Japan, the United States, and New Zealand on the day when Beijing decides to invade Taiwan.
0: Yes. I mean, overall, if you look at, uh, in the context of the Common Development Agreement, it has those elements in there. And the trade agreements, the blue economy agreements that there are, they were pushing on to, to us, where uh, a president says no, and they're Going at it to have, uh, have it uh, you know, signed by a cabinet member. And so uh, that's where we look at the overall region to see how this is happening.
1: What has been the impact on you and your family of all this?
0: Well, you know, I, I don't get my family involved in this. If I carry the burden myself, then I must carry it myself because uh, I served as the ninth president of our country. And uh, protecting our interests and our sovereignty is first and foremost. Uh, so the personal cost, of course, it is there because we read the news around the world, what happens to people who uh, uh, does these kind of things, uh, and especially uh, the kind of uh, uh, retaliations that, that uh, comes about. Uh, I, I try not to think about these things and not worry about it. I did talk about uh, you know the security of former presidents that our Department of Justice uh, you know, forwarded the travel legislation to our Congress. Uh, and I, I knew it was not going to be acted upon because I don't think there's been any uh, president in our history who has taken on uh, these types of decisions that are uh, difficult, maybe challenging and uh, probably uh, bold. Uh, but I wasn't doing it because I wanted to be bold. I wanted to do it to protect our citizens and uh, uh, our, the sovereignty of our nation. Uh, so it wasn't hard for me to do it. Uh, the impacts and what the implications may be, I, I try not to think about it, uh, Jan, uh, because the, the bigger good is uh, what I, I believe uh, must be the outcome of, uh, uh, you know, public servants and uh, uh, presidents like myself when I had the opportunity to serve our nation. And I, I thank our citizens for the confidence they have in me and for the period i have uh, uh four years and maybe shorter because uh, uh, covid uh, took away two uh, normal uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, years of uh, n- the governance that i had uh, running uh, and and you know being the president of our nation to serve the best interest of our our country
1: so i hear your passion and i am inspired by your passion um yet you know you world leaders seem to share that level of passion when it comes to facing the Chinese regime? What would you say to them?
0: Well, you know, it might not be an easy decision, but for me, uh, you know, it might not be an easy decision for world leaders, but for me, it wasn't difficult because we have to make sure that the truth is, uh, you know, known, and I think your, uh, you know, your the epoch times is uh, one of the objectives of uh, seeking out the truth. And I think, collectively, we have to uh, do that because, uh, in the complexity of this uh, uh, climate we have today, it's it's a rarity, uh, to to come out and speak honestly and uh, boldly of what is good for your country. Uh, and for the uh, at large, uh, you know, the community at large. The truth uh, and transparency is important uh, to to come out and advocate and uh, that's what I did as a president and I don't think that's a, a, a difficult thing to do. And at the end of the day, I think uh, we will be happy with the outcome of our, our decisions. Uh, if it has to be bold, then be bold about it because uh, uh, we want to make sure that, that the truth uh, uh, comes out.
1: Well, President David Penuelo, it's such a pleasure to have had you on.
0: Likewise, uh, Jan. Uh, I thank you for having me on your program. Thank you.
1: Thank you all for joining President David Penuelo and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Kelleck.